to the Live to Give podcast Sunday Sermons, where each week you get to hear the message preached at Faith Church in Lansing, Michigan. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Hey, welcome to Faith Church. My name is Kirk. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you are tuning in with us, whether this is your Sunday morning and you are watching or whether maybe you're driving in your car and you're listening to this on a podcast and it's later in the week. Whatever it may be, we're just glad you're joining us. And one of the things that we love to do to start off is just to tell you a little bit about who we are. There's a thing that you'll hear us say from time to time here at Faith Church where we say, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And the whole thought process behind that is sometimes you see so many needs in this world, and even just in your neighborhood and your family and around you, that you can get frozen by that. And we just end up doing nothing for anyone, right? We do nothing for no one. And so we just want to always challenge ourselves as a church we practice. This is how we do missions. Rather than doing missions to 20 different places, we've got two places that we really, really focus on especially. We want to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. And it allows us to accomplish more that way. And so just a bit of who we are, our focus with that is that we do want to give ourselves away. We want to give because we believe that God has asked us to do that. And so we're going to do it and we're going to focus when we do. It's a bit of who we are. Now, to Today, what I want to do is we dive into this series called About That. And just a reminder what we mean by that is that we recognize there's some things in Scripture that make you just want to go, whoa, 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 about that, God. That's weird. Or that doesn't make sense. Or why would you do that? Or why would you say that? Like, and, and we have some weird teaching sometimes, but there's also some weird stories. Today, we're going to talk about one of those weird stories. See, about 750 years before Jesus comes, um, there is a love story that is probably the most unique, incredible love story that I've ever seen or heard or read anywhere. It's such a unique, improbable love story that it makes you stop and go, whoa, about that, God. And actually, what it really does is like, as you hear it, you're going to be like, God, what was the point? What were you thinking? What did you mean by that? Why did you put this together? And so it's this crazy love story that I want to dive into today. 750 years before Jesus, there was this guy named Hosea. And the name Hosea means, means salvation. And I want you to hang on to that for later, because we're going to come back to that. It's going to be important. But Hosea lives in the northern kingdom of Israel. And Israel at this point in time, they're doing really, really well. Uh, they're For the most part, they're pretty prosperous. Um, for the most part, there's peace all around the country. In fact, probably the biggest struggle, the biggest challenge, the biggest issue that they're facing at this time, whether they realize it or not, is that the way they view and think of love is pretty dysfunctional. It's kind of messed up. In fact, the way that they view and talk about love is eerily similar to how we would talk about love today. For instance, in Israel at this point in time, they saw love as being a concept that you could purchase. That if you had enough money, you could buy your way into love. They also saw love as the pursuit of self-gratification. So therefore, you love whatever makes you feel good. So you love whoever makes you happy. You also love whatever thing might bring you happiness. And so because of that, they began to talk about uh, loving inanimate objects. Now, if you stop and think about all that, that really is a lot like today. Because in today's society, we tend to, for the most part, most people, for them, love is purely emotive. 
It's an emotion that you can fall into and fall out of. In fact, most people, the way they treat love and the way they treat their relationships is almost like, as long as you make me happy, I will keep loving you. As long as you make me happy, we will stay together. But think about that. That's not you loving the other person. That's you loving you, right? I love me so much that if you don't make me happy, I'm out. Instead of saying, I love you so much that my standard for you is not going to be perfection, we're going to work through challenges and issues. But that's not how the world tends to view love today. Not only that, but we tend to attach anything and everything to the word love, right? And, and we do this with, with weird stuff. And we do it with stuff that we mean it. And then we do it with others. Like, like we'll say, like, oh, I love my kids. I also love new tires, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I love my wife so much. And I also really love Krispy Kreme donuts, especially when they're hot. <laughs> I love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. I love the smell of fresh cut grass, too. Like, you see that? Like, when you attach it to anything and everything, it really ruins the value of it. And it makes it hard to understand and to know, well, what is love? What does it mean to love? And so here as we come to the Israelites and our story with Hosea, this is kind of where they're at, where they don't really get what love is. And so God says, you know what? I need to demonstrate for them what I mean when I say I love you because they don't get it, because they're putting it into their terms and their understanding, and it doesn't make sense. And so what God does is he gives them this love story that is a physical representation of a spiritual reality where he wants them to know and he wants them to understand that he loves them. And the result of that is this most improbable love story. So let's begin. What is this love story? This guy named Hosea. Hosea gets this incredibly bizarre assignment from God. God says to Hosea, he says, I want you to marry a prostitute. Huh? What? Hold on, God. You're going to have to say that. What, what was that? I want you to marry a prostitute. Yeah, God, you're going to have to speak up because um, it sounded like you said you want me to marry a Yes, that's what I want. I want you to marry a prostitute, and I want you to have a family with her. I want you to have kids and build a family together. All right, about that, God. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Like, why would you? I don't understand. God, we need to talk about this, right? Like, like this is the about that God, God moment in this story where you want to be like, that's a weird thing for God to ask his prophet for him to ask Hosea to do. And the interesting thing in the story is Hosea does it. He obeys. He, he moves forward with it, and he marries a prostitute. He marries a prostitute by the name of Gomer. Now, Gomer's name means completion. And so what's unique about this that I love is if you remember we said Hosea's name means salvation, Gomer's name means completion. And so when Hosea comes to Gomer and they get married together, it brings salvation to completion. And this is a really cool thing that God is doing. The union of these two in marriage brings salvation to completion. And it is modeling for us what is going to take place in 750 years when Jesus comes. And salvation is complete when we come and have relationship with Jesus. That that's when salvation is complete. And so what God is doing here is he's preaching the gospel to his people, the nation of Israel, 750 years before the Messiah even comes. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> now, in the beginning of this marriage relationship, this unique love story, this, this weird story, in the beginning, everything looks pretty good for the most part. Hosea and Gomer get married. They have a kid. Then they have a second. And then they have a third. And it seems like things are going well. At least it looks that way. And this is where I want to kind of pick the story up in Scripture. 
Because you see, something happens one day. One day, Hosea wakes up. And when he turns over to see his wife, to say good morning to her, she's gone. And she's left. She's left Hosea. She's left their three kids. She's abandoned the family. Where has she gone? She's actually returned to prostitution. She's gone back to the sex slave industry by her choice, by her own decision. And so she leaves Hosea as a single dad, and he's trying to be the spiritual leader of the nation of Israel, the prophet of God who speaks on behalf of God and speaks to God. And and he's trying to do that all while he's a single dad. And this is where we pick the story back up. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. I want you to listen to what Hosea writes here. He says, The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. (laughs) What is happening here? What's going on? The Lord says to Hosea, He says, I want you to go find her. Go find your wife. He says, I want you to love this woman who's loved by another man. I want you to love this woman who's back into prostitution. He says, Hosea, I want you to go find her. And then what's interesting is he tells her what he wants her to do once he finds her, right? Do you see this? He says, and then I want you to love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Well, Hosea is the prophet of God. He speaks to God and with God. He understands the heart of God better than anybody else. So Hosea knows how deeply the Lord loves the Israelites. And God says, that's how deeply I want you to love your wife who is right now loving another man. Man, God seems to be asking an awful lot of Hosea right here. He says, go find her. Go find her, Hosea. Go looking for her. Chase after her until you do find her. (laughs) I imagine Hosea responding, but God, she left us. It doesn't matter, Hosea. I want you to go looking for her. But God, she left us. She doesn't deserve this. No, 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 Hosea, you don't understand. It doesn't matter because how you love your wife is going to demonstrate to the nation of Israel how I love them. And he says, Hosea, go find your wife. And so Hosea goes. And man, that must have been a heart-wrenching process. I can't imagine what that would have been like as you go looking for your wife who was a former prostitute and has had three kids with you, but now by her choice, chooses to go back to the sex slave industry. What was that pursuit like? How painful was that pursuit Where do you go looking for her? How messy is that search as he walks the streets, as as he walks streets where they would say, nobody should go to these streets. These are streets that are, you know, they're full of sin and you shouldn't be there, especially not a man of God. And here is the prophet of God. Here is Hosea himself walking those streets and he's looking for who? For his wife. What happens next? Verse 2, I want you to watch what Hosea does. It says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Wait, 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 Hosea. She's your wife. Hosea, she's your wife. What do you mean you bought her? And what was this scene like as he finds her? What are the chances that he finds his wife Gomer standing up on a pedestal naked and shackled and being sold to the highest bidder? And what is that moment like as Hosea makes his way to the front of the crowd trying to bid on his wife? 
And he comes to the one who's there selling her. And he says, excuse me, sir. Excuse me. That's my wife. And he says, I don't care who you say she is. She's for sale and this is her price. No, 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 I don't think you understand. But she's, we were married and she's, she's my, and, 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 and he pays. He pays. He pays for her. How much, how much Hosea asks. And as he reaches in and he gets the money out and he pays for his wife, what was that moment like in that exchange as the salesman hands his wife off to him after he's paid for her? What was that like when he locks eyes with his wife? I imagine she immediately hung her head. And she thought, he came looking for me. I never thought he would. I never thought he would come looking for me. I abandoned him. And I abandoned our kids. I can't believe that he's come looking for me. And yet he insists on buying me. On buying me. You see, you need to understand those other men, they wanted to buy her to use her. But Hosea is seeking to buy her to heal her. And I hope you understand in this story who you and I are and who God is. I hope you understand that Hosea is a picture of God in the story, and no offense, you and I are Gomer. And I want you to see what God is saying here. You see, He's telling us, he's telling you and me that even though your life may look messy, even though your life may have hit rock bottom, even though your life may be full of sin, God says, I want you to know I'm still pursuing you. I love you. I want you to return to me, to come to me. And maybe you're like Gomer. Maybe you've made some really poor decisions in life. And you're like, oh, Kirk, if you only knew the decisions I've made. And I'm telling you, God's going, that's why I'm using Gomer. Do you understand the decisions she made? She abandoned her family to go back into prostitution. And I'm still pursuing her. I sent Hosea after her. Maybe you're a lot like Gomer too and you even had a season where you did well. Think about it. Gomer did well for long enough that she had three kids with Hosea. Maybe you've had a season of life where you were like, man, I was following Jesus good. We were doing well together, but now now I've kind of fallen off. Now I've kind of withdrawn from God completely and I don't really talk to him and I'm not diving into his scriptures. And To be honest, I don't even know what brought me here today. I don't even know why I'm listening or paying attention or watching this. And the truth of the matter is I know, let me tell you why. It's because God is still pursuing you. It's because God loves you that much that just as he sent Hosea to pursue Gomer, he is pursuing you because he loves you and wants you to know that. And for some of you, for some of you, I know that you never thought God would come. For some of you, you never thought that God would pursue you, that he would come searching for you. You've been to places, you've seen and done things that you're like, oh, Kirk, and you've been angry at God, even livid with him. You've said things to God and said things about God that are not family appropriate at all. Things that maybe you thought, boy, that probably disqualifies me from ever coming back to God. And God says, no. I love you. And in spite of all of that, I'm going to continue to love you and continue to pursue you. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God of scriptures. This is the God who sent his son Jesus for you and for me. Do you understand just how much he loves you? 
Hosea goes on in verse 3. In verse 3, he says this. He says, then I told her, you are to live with me many days. Oh, let me stop there. That is not how I would have responded, right? Like, that, I was, I, like I'm sorry, like, that's not many days? Come on, come on. Like, this is so much more grace than I think I could ever respond to. Hosea, this is amazing how he's doing. Watch what he says next. This is the part that blows my mind. The next thing that he does is so incredible. He says, you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. Do you see what he's just done? This is so beautiful. Do you get what Hosea just did right there? See, I don't know that we do. I don't think we understand it. But what he's just done is he's just renewed their vows. He just renewed her vows with her. He said, tell you what, you're not to be with anyone else, and I won't be either. And I want you to notice what he doesn't do. I want you to notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, hey, I need to get even, so I'll see you in the morning. He doesn't say, hey, this thing that you've done is awful and horrendous, and from here on out in our marriage, every time you make a mistake that hurts my feelings, I'm going to bring this up because I'm going to always be ahead of you. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? This thing that you did means we're never even. We're never on equal ground because nothing I would do to you is as bad as this. No, he doesn't do that. Instead, he renews their vows. And he says, let's make an agreement together that we will both be faithful to one another from here on out. And I imagine that once again, Gomer couldn't even hardly look at her husband as she's overwhelmed by his love and his compassion his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness. Church, do you understand that this is a representation of how deeply Jesus loves you? That even when you run from God, he will pursue you. Even when you mess up and you blow it in the deepest and darkest and hardest of ways, he said, I still will come after you. And then he says, listen, let's make a deal. Let's be faithful to one another from here on out. Can you do that? He doesn't say, oh, oh, you got to make up for it. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to treat you as worse than any other believer. He doesn't say, you got to take 20,000 steps backwards in your walk with me. He just simply says, tell you what, let's do something. Let's renew our vows. Let's go from here and let's both try to remain faithful to each other. He says, I'll be faithful to you if you're faithful to me. Can you do that? This is how God responds to our sin. Now, next in verses 4 and 5, Hosea shifts, and it's a unique shift when you read through it because what happens is he's no longer talking about him and Gomer. He begins to speak prophetically. And as he begins to speak prophetically, what he's doing is he's talking about the coming Messiah. And he doesn't really know all of what he's saying. He doesn't grasp and understand all of it. But what he knows is there's a Messiah coming. He doesn't know the Messiah's coming 750 years from this moment. He just knows he's coming. And as he begins to speak prophetically, he says, guys, I need you to understand, I need you to know that there's this Messiah coming and he's going to come to set, what is, to set right in this world what is wrong. He's going to come to seek and to save and to redeem the lost. And so Hosea, who has just bought Gomer, even though they were already married, begins to talk about the coming of this Messiah. And this is the picture of the gospel. This is what God is doing with the story of this prophet he told to marry a prostitute. Is he saying, would you look, would you understand? Understand, this is salvation. This is the gospel that as Hosea and Gomer come together, it is salvation complete. And he says, in the same way, there is one day coming a savior. 
And he says, I want you to notice that when Gomer came and, and, and Hosea had to save Gomer, he forgave her in spite of her sin, in spite of her wrongdoing, in spite of her running away from him. And he says, there's a Messiah coming who will do the same for you, who will forgive you. In fact, Scripture says that he will love us even while we were yet sinners. We get this so mixed up. We think, boy, I've got to get just right and be perfect before I can come back to God. Now, don't hear me wrong. When we sin, it's serious and it's an issue because when you sin, it creates separation between you and God. But God says, that's why I sent my son is to overcome that. He's greater than that separation. There's nothing you can do in your life that is bigger than the love of Jesus Christ that says, I can overcome that. I'm going to give you my righteousness and you can be in right standing. And so he pursues us even when we sin. He loves us even while we're yet sinners, just as Hosea pursued Gomer, just as Hosea went after Gomer and forgave her, so God says, I will forgive you. And so there's the Savior coming. And guess what? Guess what? Us, you, and me right now, we are living in those days when the Messiah has come. Our Hosea has come. Our salvation has come. Jesus has come. And he found you, and he found me, and he, he had to walk through some pretty despicable places to get to us sometimes, didn't he? He had to come down to the, 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 the brokenness and sinfulness of humanity to come and to find us and to pull us out of that, didn't he? Don't you see, don't you understand that just as Hosea searched for his wife, so Jesus came searching for you and for me. And when he found us, we were not so neat and tidy and put together, were we? You were in chains and you were naked and shackled just as, as, just as Gomer was. And you were sinful and so was I when God came. And our gracious God came and he said, how much? How much for him? How much for her? The blood of your son. For then and only then can humanity advert the wrath and justice that is rightfully upon their head. And God says, I'll send my son for you and for me. Brings us to our so what moment. So what does this mean? What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? The whole narrative of the New Testament. The whole narrative of the Gospels, the narrative of the epistles of Paul who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament. The whole narrative of the New Testament is really summed up in this idea that we are loved. Right away, early on, we see it over and over again. We are loved, 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 we are loved. And then one day Paul says, okay, now realizing that you are Gomer, and that Jesus that is Hosea, and that he has come to save and to rescue you, to bring you salvation. Then he says, you know what? There's more gomers, you know. There's more gomers. 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Let me show you this. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Praise God for that, right? That's what allows us to be in right standing. goes on. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
there's more gomers, you know. Do you see what he's saying in the scriptures here? Once you understand that you are loved by God, you have an assignment from God. You are to then go and to love others in the name of Jesus Christ, to love them like Jesus would love them. So don't get me wrong. We are Gomer in this story. But when you become a follower of Jesus in a whole other way, you begin to become more and more like a Hosea, and you are to go and to demonstrate and show the love of God to those that do not yet know him. And so the challenge is, though, that many people will come to this place. They'll come to this place in their life where they accept the gift of salvation. They'll come to this place in their life where they, they acknowledge their need for forgiveness of their sins. They acknowledge that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior. And they get baptized and they begin to dive more into understanding who God is and what he wants for him. They'll even dive into studying his scriptures. And then the Holy Spirit will come along and he will move us and prod us. And he will tell us there's more gomers, you know. There are more people who need to know Jesus. And what happens all too often is we decide that, no, 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 I'm too comfortable where I'm at. We're too comfortable in our comfortable setting, in our comfortable home, with our comfortable jobs, and our comfortable family. And we go, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to have to go to the places I have to go to to reach the gomers. I don't know if I want to have to say the things I have to say to reach them. I don't know that I want to do what I'd have to do. And we've become too comfortable to go reach the gomers who we used to be a gomer. Church, I want you to hear something and hear my heart as I share this. I love you too much to not be honest with you, and I want you to understand something about this church. Listen, if you are not actively seeking to help someone who doesn't know Jesus come to know Jesus, then you are not on mission with Jesus. Let me say that again because I want to make sure we get that. If you are not actively seeking to help someone who doesn't know Jesus come to know Jesus, then you are not on mission with Jesus. Oh, but I, but I read my Bible, Kirk. Well, that is great. That's amazing. Guess what? That Bible is going to tell you this exact same thing too because that's where we get this from. Oh, but I pray all the time, Kirk. That's amazing. That is awesome because you know what prayer does? Prayer is our communion with the heart of God. And when we pray, we draw closer to the heart of God. And do you know what the heart of God is for? He wants to redeem this world. He wants to set right what is wrong. He wants to, to seek and to save all of the lost. So you want to have the heart of your heavenly father? Well, his heart breaks for those who don't yet know his son, Jesus. And so if you're going to have his heart and spend time in prayer, then you better come to the place where your heart breaks for that too, so much so that you go, boy, I have to do something about this. I can't just sit back and say, I hope somebody else does. Church, this is why we ask you all the time, over and over, you hear us ask this question. Some of you are like, gosh, Kirk, why do you always preach on that? Why do you always ask? Because it's this kind of important. But we ask you all the time, who's your one? Who's your one? When we say that, what we mean by that is we mean that every single person who proclaims the name of Jesus, who says, I'm a Jesus follower, every one of us should have at least one person or one family in our lives that we are being intentional about praying for, that we are being intentional about searching for how can we talk to them about Jesus, how can we model the love of Jesus for, that at least one person or one family who can interrupt your regularly scheduled events. And when they seek help, when they need you or they need your time, you go, I'm going to pursue them the way that God pursued me because I want to represent Jesus Christ to them. So who's that person, who's that family that you are pursuing in the name of Jesus? 
And when I say that, listen, church, there's something that we need to make sure we're very clear about this. Some of you have written to me and asked great questions, and I love it because your questions have shown me we need, we need clarity around this. So let me be clear when we ask who's your one. Something we mean by this is, or we don't mean. Your one cannot be a project that you are looking to accomplish. They are a person you are looking to love like Jesus. Do you get this? People are not projects. So it can't be a project. This has to be real. It has to be authentic. It has to be somebody who say, I love you so much. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. And so because of this, can I just tell you, the people that are the best people to say this is going to be my one are the people that you are the closest to, the people you spend the most time with, the people who you actually enjoy being around. Listen, listen, I'm giving you permission to choose those people that you enjoy being around and be like, that's who I want to go pursue. Because if you're going to really have a one, you're going to have to make sacrifices. You're going to, if you're going to do this right and do it well, you are going to begin to spend more time with this one person than you do with almost anyone and everyone else. And this one person gets permission to interrupt your life. And you go, you know what? I want to model to them the love of Jesus, so I'm going to make them a priority. You're going to have to become intentional about spending so much time with them that it begins to open up the door for you to begin to share with them about who Jesus is. And even as I say that, listen, I want you to understand and know something too. Just as important as sharing, talking to them about Jesus Christ, just as important as that is that you actually model the love of Jesus to them and, and watch. The more you spend time with them, they're going to watch how you love others. It's not just about how you love them. They're going to pay attention how are you loving others in the name of Jesus? And so church, you gotta understand just how important this is. It's why we talk about it all the time. But it's important because listen, if you never get intentional about this, you will never be on mission with Jesus in this. And that's just the truth. And I hope that you'll answer the call on your life to start intentionally loving other people towards Jesus Christ. Because for many people who are trying to grow closer to Christ, listen, for many people, when it comes to this idea of, of reaching out to somebody else, when it comes to the idea of actually talking to somebody else about Christ, for many Christ followers, this is where their discipleship goes to die. For many Christ followers, this is where they stop growing. Oh, they'll, they'll go to a Bible study but they won't walk across the street to their neighbor. And church, if you want to grow closer to Jesus Christ, one of the most significant steps that you can take in your walk with him is to make the decision to become intentional about sharing the love of Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is hard. Can we just acknowledge that, God? Can we just tell you, God, this is hard. Lord, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm supposed to be trained in this. This is supposed to be easy. This is one of the hardest things to do. One, let's just be honest, it's hard to love people. Two, it's, it's hard sometimes to talk about you, Lord, because the truth is in today's day and age, in this culture, in this society, oh, and so much of it is because of the church and how poorly we've done at loving people, but it's not always well-received. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go with us. Give us the words to say. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to love in the way that Jesus loved because he was in a society that didn't want anything to do 
with, with church necessarily. All people grew up and they were in the Jewish synagogues and that kind of thing. But, but something about Jesus and the way that he loved was so different. God, would you help us to love in that way? Help the way we do it to be so different because it's the way you want it to be. God, help each and every one of us to decide that no longer in my life will I be a follower of Jesus who doesn't care if anybody else follows too. To decide that I'm no longer comfortable being somebody who reads the scriptures but doesn't live them out. Who understands them but doesn't actually follow them. God, break our hearts for those who don't yet know you in the same way that yours breaks for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you.